This is DJ. This is Ish. And this is Pero, Pero Let, Let Me, Me Tell, Tell You. you. Dale. Either way, let's just not remember them. All right. oh. Now now that I'm looking at this Chasing Amy posters, poster, uh-huh. all I can think of is a song, um, If You Seek Amy. La, 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 la. And do you remember la, for la. the longest time? You, you didn't get I it. I didn't get it. You didn't get <laughs> like, okay, what's the big deal like, with the song? They're looking for her. What's the problem? Yeah, they're looking for, you know, <laughs> If You Seek Amy. Like, just let me know. Like, what's going on? With Amy. <laughs> and like that, ladies and gentlemen, we start our 40th episode. Oh, man. I fell for your cold <laughs> opening again. I don't know. Because of the song? De Jose Jose? I do not no know the song. El amor. Es lo que di- no, no es lo que dice la no, es lo que dice el amor, no lo que diga la gente. 40 y 20. I thought it was just a song about division. No, no, no. No. <laughs> ah, bueno, caballero, aquí estamos en el 40 capítulo. And yes, I, I, I kind of just want to say that we survived election day. Yes. Which But, but before, before we get into that, I want to say <laughs> that just a, a treat in and of itself. Being that it's our 40th episode, which is a, a landmark, it's a 40th, yeah. we're back in our original studio. We are back. Yeah, we're recording in my apartment. So. Which, um, it may, the <laughs> acoustics are a little bit They're less than desirable. But, you know, if, hey, if our listeners listen to us and those first few episodes that we recorded and here. they're still here. Then, okay, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. So, so the elect. Well, before we talk about the election, um, let's, I guess, start on the somber note. Um, there was another shooting. Yeah. Um, in LA. Was it last well, night? Yes. Right? Well, it's not in LA City proper. It's, um, uh, it's I want to say Harper Valley, but I don't think yes. that's. Is it Harper Valley? I'm not sure, but, but it's, it's, it's outside of yeah, LA. Yeah, yeah. Um, Glendale? Uh, another situation where it was college night at a, at a bar. Well, Country it was a Western restaurant. Bar. It's a country western bar. Mm-hmm. Right. And this guy came in and shot up the place and 12 people died, including yeah. an officer yep. who went into the scene to help. You know, to help. He walked into danger when everybody was running out. He ran yeah. in. Well, that's what and, he's trained to do. And um, I believe he was a couple of weeks or a couple of months short of retirement. And Are you just, serious? It was like a lethal he, weapon thing? Yeah. He was like on the brink of retirement oh shit and so you know another situation which we've talked to unfortunately we've talked yeah, about several times. times here in our last 40 podcast yeah. about can shootings I, and can i just make a, a request if anybody i mean because we don't know who's listening if you have a thought about you know doing something like this get get help don't. well don't but get help and if you still find yourself in a situation where you're going to go through with this and then, you know, turn the gun on yourself, may I suggest starting with the last part first? Mm. Just, you know what? Take yourself out of the equation before you take out a bunch of innocent people who have no reason to pay for whatever demons just, you're battling. I refuse to accept. And I'm not condoning suicide. I'm just saying if we're at that point, if I've got to choose between the person who's inst- unstable and innocent well, lives... I'm going to pick innocent lives. I just refuse to accept that this is a new normal because a lot of people, you know, when it's one shooting after another shooting after another shooting, they become numb. Um, 
like even this shooting, it's twelve people and it's gotten coverage, but it hasn't gotten like crazy coverage. Right. Um and I refuse to accept or or believe or continue living my life that this is the new normal. It's just the way it is. Just the way it is now. Like I could be going to Target and in the United States of America, you could be in any public place, a restaurant, and, and a, get mowed a movie down. theater, um, school, uh, wherever, and just you know, shootings is a part of life here. Yeah, you may not come home. Exactly. I mean, that's how is that any different than you know, countries in the Middle East that there's terrorism and. You yeah. never know when there's going to be a car, a car bomb, or a yeah, pipe you, bomb, or something. You leave and you don't know if you're coming home that day. Yeah, it's it's different but similar at the same time. So, you know, we've talked about it that several times here, and I mean, we're not going to go into um, <clears throat> we're not going to go yeah. to it into it in depth. But um, you know, whether it's gun control, whether it's background checks. Um, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I really don't know. I, I mean, we've grasped this and we've tried to take every, every angle we can on this. I mean, I think we could. We agree that, um, you know, tougher gun laws may help, but that's certainly not going to change or stop the problem altogether. Because the gun that this guy had was bought legally. Yeah. Well, most of them have. Yeah. Been. So, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. Well. Before we go into the elections, can I pivot on to, quite frankly, what is one of the best things that happened this week? What? The Spice Girls are reuniting. You took my last Coke away. My last Pepsi. Aww. Oh. Damn it. Okay, then we won't talk about it too much. But, but, no, no, let's But talk happiness. About it. <laughs> I mean, after talking about something as somber as that, I feel like we've got to come back with something From happy. mass shooting to the Spice Girls. Well. As one does. As one does. I mean, listen, we did racial profiling in Britney Spears. Well, that's true. Um, while we're going to London, we, it's, it looks we like. are. Yeah, actually, we're going to be buying tickets tomorrow. Um, it's funny because this has always we're going to try for Wembley. This has always been a joke between us that I've always told him. Like when they announce they're going on tour, you're going to have your credit card ready, and th- there's not going to be any discussion. I'm just going to make the call and be like, "Do it." <laughs> the good thing is that the Wembley concert's on a Saturday. Yes. Well. Yeah. We have to go to the Wembley concert because, you know, my whole thing well, with stadiums and Wembley I, I Stadium. I agree. And, that's the goal. But right. if at the end of the day, we don't get the Wembley. Right. Well, we'll, we'll go to another one. So, the Spice Girls have reunited Yay. sans posh. Yes. Spice How do we Girls? feel about that? Um, actually, I'm okay with that for several reasons. Number one, because, like you say, like you always say, I can do four, but I can't do three. No, I can't do three. I could do four. Because they've already toured as four. Right. Also... Because the vote just passed for us to get the soccer stadium, we'll probably get posh in Miami. <laughs> so we're okay. No, actually, you know what? And she's my favorite. You know, I, yes. I, I was convinced I was going to marry somehow Victoria Beckham. Like I, I, I could have happened. Yeah, I was Victoria and I were gonna we were gonna be a sure thing. We'll, we'll, we would have um, figured out other arrangements. Listen, but you we, could have met at the Met Gala. You could have gone as Madonna's accessory that was not on theme. <laughs> Her own thing. Um, but um, she... <laughs> I'm okay with her not being there because she gave them her blessing. Right. It's not animosity. It's not... Right. right. If it would have been animo- like animosity between them. Right. And, you know, they have this whole stick of girl power and friendship never ends and all this stuff. And, you know, it would have been catty between them. Then I would have been like, oh, oh you know, it's yeah. like... But she gave them their blessing and, you know, maybe she'll pop up in one of the shows. Maybe at the Wembley show. 
One can dream. If any show will happen, it'll be it would be Wembley. One can dream. Yeah, yep. it's funny because I was watching. Um, you know, overall the the um, the response has been really really good. Um, I think a lot of times people forget that when what well, maybe you knew when they performed in um, at the Olympics at the closing ceremonies of the 2012 right. um, Olympics in London. At the moment they performed, they were the most tweeted topic in oh, I didn't history. I know that. Yeah. At that moment, they were the most tweeted topic ever in Twitter I history. I must have watched that performance on a loop for like a thousand times. And it's funny because I was watching this thing of, um, I think it was Access Hollywood, but not not the one that... It, no, something of E. It was E. I was okay. watching it today. It, it's one of those like web oh, things okay. that they have. So it's not real. God. And it was three of them. It was some guy and these two girls. Yeah, they started some new show, and it's got a website. No, whatever. Yeah. And the girl, one of the girls, was like, uh, "I mean, yeah, Victoria shouldn't do it because she's a six. You know, she's successful, successful dime, and designer. Then, you know, she's a designer, and like, you know, she doesn't have time to do this reunion. And like, why should they do this reunion? Like, who's gonna buy tickets for this? And I'm like, uh, have you looked at the demand that these people have for these so shows? What I'm, what I'm hearing is we need to find out who this girl is and send her hate tweets. <laughs> you girl from Inc., stop right now. Thank you very yes. much. Let's, you know what, listeners? We should find out who it is, and we should all just mail her little bottles of oregano. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite song of theirs? I think it's a tie for me between um, Who Do You Think You Are? Yeah. Which... We, we love. kind of adore because it's kind of our intro music. <laughs> oh my god, that's true. <laughs> I wonder how many of our listeners have figured out that our intro, you know, our it's intro. Who do you think you are? Is the yeah. intro to Who Do You Think You Are by the Spice Girls. So, <laughs> there's that. There's that. Um, but I also kind of like because Saturday Night nothing, Divas. nothing, nothing um, showcases a. A Latin, a Latin Miami-based Spanglish podcast more than an intro by a British girl group. So should we switch to Michiko Latino? <laughs> okay, so who do you think you are and what? Who do you think you are in Saturday Night Divas? I don't okay. know why. I just, there's just something about Saturday Night Divas that I just, I like. Mine would be who do you think you are in Holler? Because, you know, I'm all about that That R&B. is a great. That is a great song. I do hope that they release, like... One or two new singles. Well, according to Melody B, oh, they're having like a whole album. No, imagine that. That means that they'll probably have one new like single. Two. Yeah. Yeah. Two singles. Yeah. yeah. That they yeah. dusted off, and they'll probably be yeah. like B sides. Yeah. I just so everybody, better than that everybody out there who song. likes the Spice Girls, so they announced their t- touring next summer. Um, well, it's, it's a very small tour. It's six shows. Um, they're going to be all in in the UK. In the UK. But For now. In their 2008 tour, they originally had like six shows, and it turned into like 50 shows. So they're probably testing the waters again. Maybe they'll they'll actually release a, um, a DVD. A DVD. Well, after like the whole debacle that they did in last time, I guess they they better. So they owe us. They owe us a DVD. <laughs> so yes, guys. So on June 15th, um, you'll know where we are. Yeah, we're gonna be tomorrow. Let me tell you, live from London. <laughs> Well, I'm sure we can we can live stream from the from the, the show. Our listeners are like, hi, we're here in London because again, nothing says a Spanglish hey, Latin American. Jerry podcast. is half Spanish. She is. Her mother's from Spain. So we're gonna pivot on that if possible. That's true, they do have a, a song Mucha in Spanish. You know what, listeners, if any of you has any spice connections. 
we would love to talk to any of the girls. Yeah. Hell, I'd even talk to the Asian girl from Spice World. <laughs> they should bring her to Golden Victoria. <laughs> It is Spice World. It is Spice World. Is that the name of the tour again? The the shows? Oh, I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know. Is it Spice World Tour? Or, or Spice, Spice World Tour? Who World knows? Tour. <laughs> Who knows? But anyway. <laughs> so as we mentioned, this week was the elections, and one of the things we voted on was a soccer stadium, which we is did. being heralded by David Beckham, and we so did. we're getting that. So yay, we might get some posh. Because you know I vote anything that has to do with stadiums, I vote yes, even if it's going to kill my taxes <laughs> later. <laughs> but that's not the only thing we voted on. It wasn't? <laughs> I'm now I'm drawing a blank. Uh, <laughs> so we voted for we voted the governor. For the, we voted for governor, which was a very, very tight race. Well, actually, there's word that there's going to be a recount. Well, I know there's a recount in the works for senator between Bill Nelson and Rick Scott. Yeah, I heard today for the governor as well. Well, because it was like 48% to 49%, right? Mm-hmm. Or something like, to that degree. So, I mean, it was a very, 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 very close race. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I saw some stats that here in Florida, the last midterm election, only 42% of registered voters mm-hmm. voted. Mm-hmm. This election was 56%. Mm-hmm. Yay for growth. It's still fucking That's abysmal. Still low. That's abysmal, but I, you know, it's like, yay, we're a solid 56. All 56. <laughs> we're not even passing, though. Yeah. Passing <laughs> is 65. No, we're, we're still uh, an F. <laughs> we're an F state. We're an F state. Well, we're, we're for Florida. State. We're Florida. We're Florida. Um, but... You know, and I think across the country we saw, I know a lot of people now, because this is what we do now with social media, a lot of people tend to go like, oh, everything is lost. Oh, you know, let me go and cry because this is not the life that I want to lead. And this is not the change. It's like, okay, Baby, just. Baby, go on and just cry me a river. Thank you. Baby, thank you. You know what, bitches? Sometimes in life you win, sometimes you lose. And I think. That's a song. Win some, lose some, right? Robbie Williams. All I want to do now is cool talk. <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Okay. Suburban right. Sun. Anyway, so um, where the hell is I going with this? But again, I'm a generally positive person, mm-hmm. and I think we have to focus on the positive. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a shit ton of change going on around this country that I think we probably couldn't have imagined as happening maybe 10 years ago. That well, is happening, I mean, and it's happening in this administration. I mean, we've got Muslim women voted into right. Congress. Your first gay governor. Gay governor. We have the first, I think, black congressperson in in Massachusetts. I think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, so, a record amount of women. A record amount of women are, are and going veterans and veterans. So I mean, yes. Can you sit there at home and look at the negative? You know, the glass is either going to be half full or half empty. I choose to look at it half full. And in addition to that, we now have a traditional quote-unquote here's waiting to see what that happens checks and balance type situation mm-hmm. going on you know and i think these are all things that we need to be well the thing i think we, that we a lot of people be... a lot of people set themselves up for disappointment because i actually i think i had mentioned it here in the podcast but i had certainly mentioned mm-hmm. it to you in conversation that people were talking about this blue wave right oh there's just gonna be this blue wave and i was like no there's not because I don't like the president, and you don't like the president, and a lot of our friends don't like the president, but I'm, I also know that there are a lot of people that do. You know, a lot of them are in my family. Right. And there's a lot of people that do support him, whether you like it or not. So this whole blue wave that people were talking about, it's like, no, because you're looking into your demographic and your well, echo chambers. But that's because that's what social media turns us into. Right. Oh, you disagree with me? Unfriend, 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 right. unfriend. And then you get surprised right. when people have different opinions. Right. So, so would you say there was no blue wave, but there was no red tide? It was more like a purple rain? 
<laughs> yeah. I mean, I think I think that what happened is what realistically was set to happen. Um, you know, the Democrats took over the House, regained, got the House back. Um, Republicans kept the Senate. And, you know, again, there I wouldn't say there was a blue wave. There were blue little wavelets the there was little progress ripples there there, there was progress um you know also something that um is very important is that there were a lot of governors that turned blue a lot of states that turned blue in terms of governors right. florida not being one of them but but hey it was not like it was an 80 20 yeah split. but the, pro- the problem with po- with the problem with politics in terms of like winning and losing is that even if it you won by two votes it's a win no no, no i agree but what i'm saying is you can take some comfort in the fact that both but, but the important you know, the important thing about the governors winning the you know gov- states turning blue mm-hmm. is that this now affects gerrymandering and district rezoning so that's something that can be very is that helpful. Jerry's married name? <laughs> that's something that could be very helpful to the Democrats come twenty twenty, because oh, okay. these are states now that have a, um, a, a you know governor who's a Democrat. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I think I think kind of both parties kind of did well on on mm-hmm. Tuesday. Fifty fifty split. Uh, I mean, the Democrats certainly did well. The Republicans held their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I, listen, even if there would have been, I, I don't think that, I don't think that any outcome would have changed a lot of things in sense in terms of the division. I think people are still going to be divided because that's just yeah. the moment that we're we're in we're right, right now. now. I mean, maybe in a few years we're all going to sing kumbaya, but right now Ugh, that's that how we are as a country. And um, whether there would have been a blue wave, a red tide, a purple rain, as you right. said, people are still going to be divided. They're still going to get on their soapbox and preach and think they're right and the other person is just terribly wrong the and devil un-american and you know <laughs> be careful of the caravan isn't it funny and it's still not here no did you see the meme that's going around mm. of Gloria Stefan that says the caravan's gonna get you the caravan's gonna get you no, it's funny because maybe that's what's on the caravan. The rhythm. there's people that are very close to me that I've heard them speak, and I've been in very good behavior because you, know, you have to pick your battles. As we because said. I have to pick my battles, and I've heard them be like, "See, porque lo que viene para aquí es una invasión, una invasión," and I'm like, "Wow, they're coming with like sporks because you know." <laughs> <laughs> hey. Have you ever needed a utensil and only had a spork? It's very effective. Yeah, well, it does what it needs to do. So and then some. So, well, I mean, yeah, we survived <laughs> another nasty. Oh God, I'm I, just glad that the ads are over. And that thank it's you. Done. I, I, I don't even have the number. I meant to look it up, but it's it always amazes me where people are just like, you know, oh, there's so much we can do. You know, we need to raise funds and blah, blah. It's like, if you just funneled some of your ad f- campaign funds into actual charities and things like that mm-hmm. maybe we would actually okay. have real change i'm gonna leave you with a funny little story to okay. to um i'm i'm pro move, funny move stories. um move topics so i was talking to my my grandmother mm-hmm. and you know my grandmother's 92 and she's the you know greatest first most wonderful love of my life and um she um she's seen some things in her she, life she has and you know when old people get to that point that they don't have a filter anymore they just say what they say so she asks me the other day 
what was the first election that you voted for? And I go, oh, the first election I voted for was Bill Clinton in 1996. I just turned 18. I heard that because um, I couldn't vote for that one. I yeah. just turned 18, so I voted for Bill Clinton in 96. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yo también voté por el Clinton. And I'm like, you did? And, and we're talking, and she was in, what, her 60s at that point? No, she was 70. Yeah, she was 70. She, she was okay. 70. Okay. Um, and I'm like... You voted for Bill Clinton? You progressive. And she's like, I see. Yo de Bill Clinton, porque ese viejo que estaba contra él con la mano de palo, que siempre aguantando la pluma. Oh, I'm, like, Bob I'm like, you're talking about Bob Dole? And she's like, I see. Yo no iba a votar por ese viejo con la, con la, la el brazo de palo. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, he's such a distinguished politician. Like, and a veteran, you know, right? Yeah, and a man of integrity, yeah. whether you agree with him or not. Like, and I'm like, and that's all you remember about him? I, she's like, I see. So I'm like, you voted for Bill Clinton just because of that? And she's like, I see. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, <laughs> everybody has their criteria. This is true. Maybe if Bob Dole had been able to play, you know, the Congos, she would have voted for him instead. <laughs> that is the American way. Exactly. <laughs> oh, lordy, lordy. Well, on a similar related kind of note, me I, que So I saw an article the other day that I thought was interesting and definitely plays up to you and me on a somewhat personal level. Demon. So the other day I was I saw this I saw a headline and I clicked on it because I like clickbait. And the art the headline was God I hope they don't sing headlines. Okay, go no, ahead. I hate that song. Stupid song. Stupid Stupid song. Uh, <laughs> it says no foreign names for children, dear Abby advised. Furious parents replied. So we all know Dear Abby is the columnist. She, I didn't she know gives, Dear Abby was still around, but go ahead. It's, I think it's her daughter who does it now, but she keeps the Dear Isn't Abby Dear name. Abby not a real person? Dear Abby was a real person. Dear Abby and Ann Landers were twin sisters, and they both had advice columns, and mm. they both since passed away. I thought Dear Abby was up in... And they were both played by Wendy Malik like, in the Lifetime movie about, <laughs> about them. I thought Dear Abby was I, like the same as uh, Betty Crocker. And, and, and Jemima, Jemima. these you know, these iconic people that didn't exist. So <laughs> maybe they did exist. We Mrs. Don't know. Buttersworth, Mr. Clean, <laughs> Mr. Clean totally existed. I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Okay, so, so leave me. She got a letter from um, somebody called Valerie Va- Valerie spelled B A L A R I E. I wish I love her. Cower K A U R. Okay. So she's in the process of selecting a name for her second child. It's mm-hmm. a girl. She's an author and an activist. She's also a third-generation Sikh. I, I never know how to pronounce that. S-I-K-H. Mm-hmm. But she's from California. You know, Her son's name is Kavi, which is poet, blah, blah, blah. So she was saying that she planned to name her unborn daughter something similar. But then she saw that in an advice column, Dear Abby had encouraged readers to avoid giving their children, quote-unquote, unusual names. And what follows is the quote. Not only can foreign names be difficult to pronounce and spell, but they can also cause a child to be teased unmercifully, wrote the Dear Abby columnist, Jean Phillips. Sometimes a name can be a problematic word in the English language, and one that sounds beautiful in a foreign language can be grating in English. See, now, Dear Abby, as we are sitting here, se va a morir. <laughs> porque when she sees you naked, you snobby, you, <laughs> now, you lazy, she's going to freak. As someone who, to this day, has to enunciate his name 25 times when people meet him, mm-hmm. sitting across from someone who, until the Sailor Moon cartoon started, probably had a similar yes. situation. I've never found my name on a keychain or a mug. 
I oh, a coworker of mine found my name on a bottle of Coca Cola, vanilla Coke. Finally, you have one over me. Listen, I'll although do it. I have a city in Connecticut and in um, Georgia named after me? But go ahead. So well, no, I don't have any. You're in the Bible, you know. It's true. Okay, <laughs> fine. I'll take it. But so, I mean, what do you what do you think? I, I it's one of those things where, like, I know where she was coming from with it, but I but I will say that it just comes across as such. To to borrow a phrase from our BFFs on the Geek Bro Network, Mamas and Merlot, mm-hmm. white nonsense. Um, look, I'm I was go- I, I'm gonna say you should name your kid whatever the hell you want. But then again, <laughs> if you name your kid Inspector Pilot. It's like wait, who did that? I, wait, I, uh, Jason, um, not Jason Mraz. No, the guy was he has like a really receding hairline. Um, Inspector Pilot. He named his daughter. No, Inspector I know. Pilot. I remember. Okay, this. well, we don't. Have, Apple. Yeah, <laughs> Apple. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow's daughter. Apple. I mean, I mean, listen. I, I'm very, I'm very torn about this because on the one hand, I think you should name your kid whatever the hell you want. But on the other hand, I, you know, you do have to, you kind of have to be a little bit um, discretionary, have a little bit of discretion mm-hmm. in terms of this is the name this person's going to have their entire life. Actually, I was watching something on CBS Sunday Morning recently. You never do watch CBS Sunday Morning. I watch it every Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> it's my favorite show. Anyway, and they were talking about that, about names. And there's this guy who named his last name is Air. Okay. And he named his son Billion. Okay, that's pretty funny. I mean, the guy, the kid is called Billionaire. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's... Yeah, you just, just think... It's not going to hold it. Terrible. It's not going to hold it. So, but, so, but, but I, I think say, that in cases like that, you know, as a parent, you should name your kid whatever the hell you want, as I said. But at the same time, you have to have a little bit of discretion because this is the name that the kid is going to carry the rest of their lives, or well, unless they change it. And, you know, there's battles that that kid is going to have to pick that you're not going to have to, you know, fight. Fair enough, but I say this as somebody who growing up did not like his name. Mm-hmm. And then eventually one day after, I don't know, I don't even know what spurred it. I just came to like own it yeah, me too. And, and, and love my name to the point yeah. now where people, you know, for a while there, I tried to, for lack of a better way of putting it, like anglicize it. Like yeah. I'd be like, oh, it's Ismael. But right. now when people ask me, I'm like, Ismael. Yeah. And no, if I they agree. do the, huh? Then I'll I agree. work not, with them. Not that Darian is like a strange, strange name. But, you know, growing up, I was also like, why am I not Michael or Christopher? Right, or John or But now it's Robert. like, I wouldn't want to be in the house. No. But, but, but with that said, then there's a but, but there's of a my difference. father's who, her name was Lesbia. Uh, yes. And I knew a Lesbia she, too. And we call her Lesbita. Yeah. But <laughs> legally in this country, she's Linda. Yeah. <laughs> she changed it when she came <laughs> to this country. But, um... Yeah, so I, I don't know about that. I, I just think that th- there's a difference between having, whether it's a foreign name or something like that, versus a made-up name, like Inspector Pilot or Billionaire. You, you see what I'm saying? Right, but at one point, yeah, it's a, but that's the difference between honoring your roots and just trying to be funny. Right, because for example, if, for you're, if you're Muslim and you have a Muslim name, even if here in the United States people would have a hard time pronouncing it, right? Figure it out. Um, it's still a name, you know what I mean? Even if it's not common, it's still a name. Right. I guess I have a more of a problem with made-up names, like, yeah, like Inspector Pilot. Like Inspector Pilot <laughs> like or, like Apple, a, you know? or, or like, what about an Usnavi? Oh my god, Us- one of those are Cubans. I, I've tried, <laughs> and to our listeners out there, yeah, if you know the answer to this, please um, 
Thomas. Feel free to drop us a line at Pero Let okay. Me Podcast at gmail. I want to get to the bottom of the why revolution in Cuba. Why is it that either U- it was, Uriel, Yanis why Lacy's. is it that in the late nineties, or I'm sorry, in the late eighties, early nineties, they started naming every freaking kid born in Cuba, or girl or boy, with a Y. Yaniel, Yuneki, Yulady, Uni, Univer, Yoandra. Yeah, oh my God, it's like, but why? Like, when Yuli, yeah. but, but why? Like, I don't understand why. There's too many like pretty names. Well, did do you remember the name that uh, one of our friends said she came across? She even interviewed the guy that his name was oh, Onedoyar. I know. Oh, one dollar. One dollar. His name was one dollar. Oh, and and um, remember my uh, sister-in-law's um, um, cousin. Her name is Everybody. That's right. Everybody. Yeah. So, but those, oh, those make no sense. I can understand. If you don't know the language Cuba, and you see it. And you see it. And it looks pretty. It's a pretty word. Right. And maybe it sounds pretty. Right. When you pronounce it. Right. By knowing the meaning. And right, they right, ignorantly right. name their kid Everybody. Right, but again, the why the you 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 need. I will say though, at least that girl has a great theme song by Madonna. That's true. You you nakey, you lady, <laughs> you snobby. It's like oh my god, you delay. It's like why why I don't understand. I don't understand. It's like these made up names. I'm gonna I'm actually. There's speaking of names. There's there's a, a story that I love. Okay, that this was of an ex coworker of mine. <clears throat> So we were talking about names, and she said that she, you know, she was pregnant with her daughter. Right. That she wanted to name her daughter Amanda. Okay. She loved the name Amanda. Her Melrose husband Place was fan? no. Oh. Her husband was totally on board, and she wanted to name her daughter Amanda. Okay. So one for one reason or another, she didn't really make the name very public until the end. Mm-hmm. So when she tells her mother. Did she tell everybody to come in her office now? <laughs> no. Wearing a mini skirt. Yeah, right. She tells her mom, oh, mommy, we're going to name that niña Amanda. Mm-hmm. And she's like, ay, no. Tú no le puedes poner a la niña Amanda. No me gusta este nombre. And my friend was like, but why? I really like the name. And her mom was kind of like being coy about it. She was mm-hmm. just saying, I don't like the name. Right, and my, right, right. my friend was like, no, I, I do. So they went back and forth for like several days or whatever. Right. And she... <laughs> She kept on insisting. She's like, I'm going to name my daughter Amanda, whether you like it or not. And her mom was like, mira. Tu a la niña no le puedes poner Amanda. And my friend was like, but why? She's like, porque mira. Amanda era el nombre de la querida de tu papá. Okay, yeah, don't name your child after your father's mistress. And my friend was like, oh, shit. She didn't know, obviously. Bueno, claro. Ese día se enteró de dos cosas. She found out. La querida que tenía en Cuba. La querida que querida que tenía en Cuba. Y tú no le vas a poner a la niña el nombre de esa cualquiera. So she named her Emily. Fair enough. Fair so, enough. Yeah. Yeah. So. But you know who does have a very pretty name? Dime. This episode's guest, Chanel Clayton. She does have a very pretty name. Right? It's just it, it's like she was meant to be an author because that mm-hmm. sounds just like so beautiful. Like it's meant to be on the back of a novel. And yeah. It is. It is. It's in the back of Next Year in Havana, which is her novel that is part of the Reese Witherspoon Book Club. And we had mm-hmm. a chance to talk to her about that, as well as her experience growing up Cuban-American. And what was her inspiration for writing? And So we're going to have fun with this conversation. Yep. So um, coming up is yep. our interview with Chanel. Yep. After a word from our sponsor. 
Hola mi gente, it's Ish. Some of you may know I'm a huge geek, and now that Pero Let Me Tell You is part of the Geek Bro Network of podcasts, with such awesome podcasts as Mount Geekmore, Mr. Multiverse, and the Shiver Horror Podcast. I think it's safe to say we've got some legit cred, so you know, you know what we're talking about when we tell you to come down to Gamer Comic Expo from November 9th to the 12th down here in Miami. They've got a Fortnite competition with $10,000 in prizes. $10,000. Thousand caballero, that's a lot of prizes. Plus, I know how picky some gamers can be, so you can even now bring your own controller. And know what? You're not a gamer. No worries. They've got lots of celebrity guests. The original Captain Kirk, William Shatner, Danny Trejo. He's from the Machete series. You've got people there from Riverdale, Game of Thrones, Agents of Shields. Oh, you're more into cartoons and animated stuff? Yeah, they've got lots of voiceover artists like Greg Sipes, who voiced Beast Boy and Teen Titans Go. A personal favorite, because I was in for Halloween. Beast Boy, not Greg Sipes. And you've got anime, My Hero Academia, Dragon Ball Z. I mean, there's really literally something there for everyone. Plus, you know there's going to be cosplayers, and some of those guys and gals really do it up. So go ahead, head over to GamerComicExpo.com, or you can follow their link on their Instagram page, which would also be GamerComicExpo. And get your tickets today. What are you waiting for? Welcome back, everyone. We have a very special guest, as uh, we stated earlier, Chanel Clayton, who is an author. She not just any author. She has been um, part of um, Reese Witherspoon's book club. And with, we love Reese Witherspoon. With her novel, <laughs> Next Year in Havana, which I have to admit, Chanel, I'm almost done with. I'm still reading it. Uh. Um, but we're actually reading it at my job as part of our book club. So I, oh, I, I love that. <laughs> yes, yeah. I can't get too far ahead of everybody else. So, so we're not Reese Witherspoon's book club, but right. you know, we're, we're there. So, Aww. Chanel, welcome to Pero Let Me Tell You. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh, so likewise, likewise. So, before we even start, I want to. This is going to sound hokey, but I actually want to read something from your book that I think perfectly encapsulates what being Cuban is. And, and again, DJ and I are both Cuban American. So we kind of grew up mm-hmm. similar to, to I'm assuming yourself, but definitely uh, the same way that um, the main character of your book, uh, Elisa did that you say to be Cuban is to be proud. It is both our greatest gift and our biggest curse. <laughs> That's awesome. I want that on like a pillow <laughs> or something. It is so encapsulatingly perfect. Oh, thank you. So where did the inspiration for, for this novel come from? I mean, obviously you're Cuban-American, but but what made you yes. say, this is a story I need to tell? You know, it really started um, with a conversation that I had with my dad. So my dad was born in Havana, and my family left in 67, um, and he was eight years old when he left. Oh. And we were planning a family reunion. It was 2016, and travel had sort of, sort of opened up. Um, under President Obama. And my grandmother's family is about 60 something, you know, people in our extended family, and we do reunions every few years. So it's a small we family planning. by Cuban standards. Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> actually, it really is. I'm an only child. My dad's an only child. So yeah, my branch is actually very small. Um, <laughs> but we have this big extended family, you know, for us, which is nice. Um, and yeah, we were planning this family reunion. And my dad started telling me this story. And, you know, I'm sure like so many Cuban-American kids, you know, I grew up on all of these stories of Cuba. But one thing that they never actually told me about was about one of the nights before they left the country um, Mm -hmm. when everyone went to my grandparents' house and they buried this box like in the middle of the night of all of their valuables. And, you know, I since learned that that was a pretty common practice 
and that people, you know, also buried things in the walls of their homes. But I had never heard that before. And so as soon as he told me that, you know, as a writer, it just absolutely sparked this question for me of, you know, if you were forced to leave your home and you could only take a suitcase with you and you couldn't take anything that was valuable or, you know, some of your most precious mementos, what would you leave in the box for when you would return? And for me, you know, I immediately went to this um, sort of, you know, dramatic romantic relationship in this saga of, of really like love lost in exile. Wow, that's beautiful. And for so those listeners who haven't had a chance yet, and I say yet because I'm sure that after this episode, they're all going to run out and read the book. Next Year in Havana, <clears throat> excuse me, tells the story of basically two main characters. You know, you have Elisa Perez, who was from high society. She left Cuba at the height of, you know, right, basically right after the revolution happens, her and her family are in the sugar industry, and so they leave, they come to the U.S. But then it's also the story of equally of Marisol Ferreira, who's her granddaughter, who goes back to Cuba after her grandmother's death to basically find what she's been tasked in her grandmother's will with finding the, per- the perfect place for her, for her final resting place. So my, f- my first question, obviously, is did you visit... Cuba because the way you write about I mean I've never been but the way you write about it has a level of detail that to me says yeah this isn't you don't get this from sitting and looking at a travelogue well thank you um so honestly I actually did not go um which is kind of I get that a lot wow, um, so you're a great so writer girl family <laughs> trip plan, which I mentioned and we were like paying deposits because you have to go through a travel agency yeah. And my grandfather, who is 95, I'm sure many people will relate to this, um, became very angry when we started talking about the trip. Um, And he just felt really, really strongly that he didn't want to support the regime. He didn't feel comfortable with us going. And that actually really sparked another discussion in the family because I'd always known, you know, obviously that he was, you know, very upset still and Mm -hmm you know, had a lot of anger um, over the revolution and everything that happened after. Um, But I didn't really fully appreciate just how deep that still ran um, until we really started talking about this trip. So my dad and I decided that we just didn't feel comfortable going out of respect for him until the situation changes. Um, That said, I do have a lot of extended family that had gone and family friends. So I was able to talk to people and kind of get it from the research side of, of those who had gone. Um, but it was one of those things, you know, I think in talking about the book with other Cuban Americans, you know, that's come up a lot. And I think a lot of people are very divided on whether or not they want to go back. And sometimes it's generational on um, whether it's something they want to do. But it actually, you know, really sparked a huge discussion in our family about, you know, how much the revolution still kind of impacted us and also led to me writing the book. Yeah, we've we've talked about that here a few times. In fact, we, we had um, an interview um, um, a couple of weeks ago or recently mm-hmm. where we, we were talking just about that, with that, about going back and how it, to some people it's such a betrayal and, 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 mm-hmm. and you just don't do it because you fled communism and here you were you were feeding back to it. So we could definitely relate to that that whole issue that you had in that whole argument let me ask you this um in in doing the research for the book what did you find surprised you and or you didn't know about cuba or havana or about the cuban experience um that was actually it was a huge surprise to me a lot of the stuff that came up in the research and i think you know once again talking to other cuban americans after the book published 
this has come up for a lot of people is that I feel like, you know, my grandparents' generation lived through some pretty horrific things and they lived with us growing up. So obviously, you know, I heard about Cuba on a daily basis, but I always heard about the good things. You know, I always, it was always painted for me as this very idyllic place. Um, They had, you know, a deep love for it as so many do. And it was always um, the happy memories that they focused on. And so I honestly, I'm embarrassed to admit that I didn't fully appreciate just how violent and chaotic, especially the first few months after um, Castro coming into power really were. Um, Things like the trials at the sports stadium being televised and the fact that, you know, the executions, you know, I knew obviously that people were killed, but I didn't really understand just how in your face it was. And, um, you know, how much I think society just kind of broke down in a way during those months. Um, So it really gave me a much broader appreciation for what my grandparents lived through. And it helped me to kind of understand why they felt as strongly as they did. And just to kind of appreciate the courage, you know, that it took so many to, you know, try to get a better life for their families. Yeah, it's funny you say that because I, reading your book, I honestly, again, I'm almost 40, grew up, you know, in Miami, like the the Cuba outside of Cuba. Um, mm-hmm. I didn't know that the University of La Habana had been closed during Batista's mm-hmm. time. And I learned that from, from your novel. And I was like, really? So... I can appreciate you saying, you know, you didn't know X, Y, and Z or, or the magnitude of it. Because there's certain things as I'm reading it that I'm going, oh, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. And I mean, I'm not a scholar, but I'd like to think I've been told stories, you know, probably to the same degree mm-hmm. as you have. So I can definitely appreciate that. Something I I, I found really interesting in, in your writing and in your books, uh, in both books, uh, Next Year in Havana and When well, We Left Cuba. Well, When We Left Cuba, I mean, it's the excerpt. Yeah. What, what I found really interesting was that, and, and this is kind of where my question is going, obviously with the, the whole issue of, of Cuba and the revolution and, and all that, um, you know, obviously it's so charged and political. As a writer, how do you balance writing about family, about love, about relationships with such a controversial and... Um, you know, as you said, hectic and violent uh, background, which is the Cuban Revolution. Está cagado. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there were a few different things. Um, first off, I kind of looked at the audience that I was writing for. Really, honestly, I will admit when I was working on the book, I think when you write about your own identity, there is like a natural insecurity that comes of, am I the right person to tell the story? Am I Cuban enough to tell the story? is the story going to, like you said, it's a charged issue. Um, so I tried to really just kind of write from where I came from. You know, I felt most comfortable talking about it from the position of exile, just because that's what I grew up with. And Elisa, in a lot of ways, I mean, I, the plot points are very much fiction. Um, but Elisa's character, and, you know, some of her sentiments and values were very much my grandmother. And so I kind of just wrote what I knew in that sense. And honestly, like my hope was just that someone would read it and be like, oh, you know, this brings up a memory or I relate to this. Um, Because I know, especially as a Cuban American, you know, you don't see yourself as much 
in popular culture. It's definitely getting better. Like you have amazing shows like One Day at a Time mm-hmm. that are really, you know, giving those perspectives, but it's not something we see as much. Right. And so I wanted to just kind of give, you know, some of those hallmarks and I hoped it would resonate with people. And then I also wrote the book for the people who say to me, why are Cubans so angry? Or, you know, the people in my classes who would wear Che Guevara shirts. Um, wow. And so I really oh, you're, touching on, you're touching on very sensitive points that we've, <laughs> we've gone into, like, great detail in previous episodes. The, the Che Guevara shirt is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, I went to pretty liberal universities, and my background's in global politics and international relations. So, I mean, that was definitely something, you know, you would see come up. And uh, I was always amazed by how many people just didn't really know much about the Cuban Revolution, who just didn't, even though it's so recent, and you look at the distance, you know, between the U.S. and Cuba, and, you know, it's just something, I guess, that is not, you know, if you don't have a connection to it, you maybe don't know as much about it. So I wanted to kind of show people you know that side of it and for me as a writer I think always the easiest way is to connect it on like a very basic personal level you know I think we all have more commonalities than we have differences right and so it's really easy to identify with families it's really easy to identify with those kinds of relationships um and that's the heart of everything really you know so I wanted to kind of bring it in that way so people could say, okay, you know, I don't know anything about Cuba, but my family had a similar experience in this country, or, you know, I, I have a similar relationship with my grandmother. So it was kind of doing it at like a very universal level. Well, I'm glad you, you said that because the reason I asked you that question was because I feel that, you know, in your writing, it's kind of twofold. Um, obviously, somebody who's Cuban or a Cuban background can read this book and completely find themselves or find them... The, their family relate to what's going on in the book. Um, But at the same time, somebody who is not Cuban, who, as you said, maybe knows very little about Cuba and the revolution and what goes on there, can read this and learn a thing or two of, you know, the horrors of the um, of the revolution and of the state of Cuba. So I, I that was one of the things that I really enjoyed or have enjoyed about the book, that there is a little bit of something for everyone. Right. And. I will say I appreciate also the nuance that you got, that you go into because I think growing up with stories that we grew up with, it probably would have been very easy for you to just kind of come in and paint everybody as, you know, the big bad evil communist. But, you know, mm-hmm. you, you have these characters, who, the ones who stayed in Cuba, you know, there's moments where they say, yes, this is horrible. This is great. You know, this is the worst. But then on the flip side, they're like, oh, but it's not, but we don't want the Yankee savior, quote unquote, either. So mm-hmm. you're showing that shade of gray that I think is just the reality for the people who live there. You know, it sucks, but that doesn't mean that I need you to come and be my knight in shining army either. Yeah, and I think, you know, in doing the research and looking at modern Cuba, which you asked me, you know, earlier about things that kind of I learned and that surprised me. And I will admit, you know, I kind of had a little bit more of an eye-opening look at modern Cuba doing the research. Um And it was one of those things where, you know, as a writer, you want to tie things up in a neat bow and you want to give some kind of like, okay, here's the happy ending that's just down the road. And it is hard right now. You know, it is definitely a huge time of change in this country, in Cuba, with the diplomatic relations. And I couldn't get to a point where I was like, okay, there's going to be a neat solution to this um, because it just is, you know, a complicated issue. Like you said, it's definitely gray. And I knew writing the book that some people might take issue with um, me portraying 
those who stayed the way I did, um, because it is, you know, so charged. But at the same time, I think coming from a political background, um, I just couldn't look at a situation and just be like, okay, these people are bad, these people are good. You know, I really wanted to understand how a Cuba got to that point, which is kind of why I started the book a little bit earlier than Castro coming into power, because I wanted to show what it was like leading up to that. Um, and then also just looking at, you know, the different decisions people make in those situations, because I don't think there really are ever easy you know, decisions. It's certainly not easy to leave your home. And it's certainly not easy to live in some of the conditions that, you know, people who stayed have lived in. Right. Um, there is actually a, a, a just like there's a quote in the book that I I found beautiful, which I, I think rings very true, which is my Cuba is gone. The Cuba I gave to you over the years swept away with the winds of the revolution. I thought that was so accurate um, because I, I feel that to a lot of Cubans that fled this idea of Cuba and this nostalgic um, image of the island is something that at this point doesn't exist anymore, or maybe even never really existed how they really remember it. So just the same way that I had asked you earlier, what did you find that surprised you? Was there anything in your research that you found that was one way, but you had always heard differently? You know, I think definitely what you're saying about the idea of kind of the romanticized Cuba, um, and I think that's very much human nature. I mean, you know, you look at a romantic relationship, you know, it's very easy to romanticize when you're looking back on it with the benefit of time and when perhaps it's the one that got away sort of thing. Um, so I do think, you know, I didn't fully appreciate, I knew academically that Bautista was obviously not good for the country and that there was turmoil, but I didn't fully appreciate just how bad it was for so many people um, until I really read the book. Um, and I think, you know, also some of that depends on what your family's experience was. Um, my right. grandfather came from much more humble beginnings and, you know, had a much more, I guess, clear eyed view of things before Castro. Um, my grandmother's family was more affluent. And so I don't think they necessarily viewed Batista as negatively as others would have. Um, and I think that's important to acknowledge. And that's kind of why I chose to write a sugar family. Um, that's not my background or my family's background, but I thought it was important to kind of highlight the disparities and where you were um, within Cuban society. And also, you know, obviously talking about sugar helped me kind of bring in some of the international issues of foreign influence and how that played a role as well. Right, right. Where are your, where were your grandfather and grandmother from? They were from Havana. Okay, both are from Havana. All right. Yeah. Okay. So, so you've I wanna, got that going. I, yeah. I want to talk a little bit uh, about you because this is quite a feat. I mean, this book has been critically acclaimed. Um, as we said on the onset, it um, it's a US, uh, USA Today bestselling. Uh, you're a bestselling author. And um, you were in Reese Witherspoon's book club. I mean, that's that's huge. Um, what, like it's hard? <laughs> To quote Legally Blonde. <laughs> like so, that, yeah. you know, you have a very interesting uh, background uh, in doing a little bit of research for this interview. I, I came across that you studied in England. You also um, are an attorney or you studied law. Was being an author ever in the books? Was it something you ever planned or is it an idea that just sprung up one day? Um, it just sort of happened one day and I'm going to steal a quote and I'm 
horrified because I cannot remember her name, but um, <laughs> the author of Children of Blood and Bone, um, she's Nigerian, and she was on Jimmy Kimmel, and he asked her, like, oh, are your fa- is your family just so proud? And she was like, look, you have to understand, like, I'm Nigerian every day that I'm not a doctor. Like, my family's just horrified. Um, <laughs> so I think as a Cuban, you can probably identify um, that that this was not necessarily the path um, that my family thought I was going down. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those things. I've always loved books. Um, I've always loved to read. I was in law school and hated it and was like, if this is my life, I will be miserable. Um, and uh, I just that's started me. writing and, <laughs> and went from there. So DJ is actually a lawyer yeah. by trade, oh, so okay. he can relate. <laughs> I, I went to law school. I actually loved the law school. I loved I loved the study of law. I mm-hmm. the practice of law is a, a very different story. A very different story that we don't want to turn this into a "what was me" <laughs> podcast. So I could definitely relate. Um, and then, so then, going back to what you were saying, so then, just what you know, you eventually decided to go down the path of being a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other component, I'll be honest, is that my husband's in the military, so we move a lot, um, mm-hmm. and finding a career that was portable. I started off in international politics, and I loved it, and that was very much my passion. Um, that's what I studied when I was in England, but realistically, like I could only be in you know a few cities that just weren't in the cards for us. Um, so tried a few different careers, and then finally was like, oh, this is portable, and this is something I'm passionate about, and I, you know, I feel like I'm i feel good about what i'm doing so and, and you've been able to do it successfully so why why stop right were you <laughs> um you. because i mean obviously every time somebody takes on something new and especially with the the publishing of the book were you surprised at the success were you like kind of confident and you knew that it was going to find an audience because i mean Again, USA Today best-selling author Reese Witherspoon Book Club. I mean, those are those are some pretty good bragging rights you you've you've um, acquired. And if there's one thing Cubans like, it's bragging. Yes, it's <laughs> <laughs> very true. <laughs> it's it's slowly becoming more palatable to my family that I write. So, okay. yeah. yeah, because you know how they probably la niña estudió abogada y estudió yeah. todo esto y ahora se metió a escribir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That, that is basically my grandfather right there. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, I, I, I feel your pain. I feel yeah. <laughs> so, obviously, with the success of the book, what's next? Um, I know you have next year. We have um, When We Left Cuba. It's coming out yes. next year. Anything after that? Are you going to continue down the Cuba route? Or, or or do you feel like you've kind of got everything out? Although, I'm very much looking forward to Beatriz's story. Not going to lie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> she, she was really fun to fun write. character. <laughs> Yeah, I can't wait for that one. Oh, thank you. Um, So, yeah, I have her book next year. And then twenty. I have a book coming out in 2020, which I haven't really talked a lot about it yet. Um, but it's set in the Keys. And I do have a Cuban character, um, but it's kind of like an intersection of a few different um, stories. And it's set uh, in the 30s. So it's a little bit different for me. Um, and I'm right now just kind of getting my projects for 21 and 22 lined up. Dang. And I think 21, I will be going back to a different period in Cuban history that I'm actually really excited about. I found a, 
a heroine. I haven't written a real life heroine yet, but I found someone that I was like, oh, oh I have to tell that story. So she's prepping for 2022. I'm not even ready for next Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> so well, this is got why stuff together. This is why she's in Reese Witherspoon's book club, <laughs> and I'm not. This is true. This is fair. Well, actually, no, publishing is ridiculously far out. Like people always say to me, like, are you working on the next book? And it's like I'm, you know, we're like two books out because it just wow. The lead time is a lot with each book. Well, um, so yeah, we we plan far ahead with with publishing. Speaking of publishing, obviously there are, there are a lot of people out there, myself included, who um, you know are either writing books or want to write books. So, what recommendations would you give to people that want to become writers and be as successful as you've been, especially people that have other careers and other jobs? Sure. That, you know, it's it's a hard juggle in the beginning, for sure. I'm fortunate enough now that I'm writing full-time, but when I started writing, I was in law school, and I was working and doing an internship, and it's rough. So I definitely think um, it's one of those things where you have to kind of, you know, do the best you can and just be easy on yourself. Um, but I would say, you know, reading is probably one of the biggest recommendations I can make. I think it's useful to read not only in the genre that you want to write, but also to read widely across other genres, because I really think you can pick up a lot. Um, you know, I don't write suspense, but I read a lot of suspense, and it really helps me with pacing, with tension in my manuscripts. So I think you really can learn a lot from other writers. The other thing I would say is just you kind of have to have a, a thick skin and really persevere. You definitely run into a lot of rejection. It's kind of a weird career to tell people you're doing, so you'll have a lot of you know, sort of naysayers around you that you have to mm -hmm. just kind of have a lot of self-belief and keep going when you do get those rejections from agents or publishers because it happens mm -hmm. to everyone. And it's it's very easy to think, okay, this is the end of the journey. And really, I think the most important thing is just that you keep working on, you know, a new book or keep working on the book that you're writing and, and just progressing because you do get better with each book and you get more comfortable and the craft. And I would say also just looking at it really as a business. Um, I think it's very easy because it is a creative pursuit to go into it uh, with more of a creative mindset. And while that's certainly important, I think you're really best served if you can understand the business side of it and mm -hmm. treat it as though you're a professional. Because really the people that you work with, your agent, your editor, your publisher, they're the ones that can really make or break your career. And right. they want to work with authors who meet deadlines and who are you know, open to making revisions and who are willing to go the extra mile to promote their books. And often they'll invest in your career. And publishing is really like a self-fulfilling prophecy where you know, they'll put more money and time and effort into the books that are doing well or into the authors that they kind of believe in. So it really helps to make like good impressions and to work with people who are reputable, who, you know, you feel confident, have your best interests at heart, and who are really going to be advocates for you. It's, it's a long career. And it's definitely one of those things where, you know, the team you have around you is right. just as important as as what you do. And did you start your career with, you know, a manuscript, and you just sent it to a, let's say, a, an agent? Or did you shop around with like different publishers or did you self publish? Yeah. So there's a lot of different paths um, that you can go down. What I did was I started by just querying an agent, which is basically where you just send a letter pitching your book. Um, it's usually like a couple hundred words. And if they're interested on the hook of your book, then you'll send sample pages and you go from there. 
So it took me probably two manuscripts to get an agent. And I've been with the same agent my whole career. But I think it's been about six years now. Right. And so that was really kind of the starting point. And then once, you know, you go through revisions with an agent and you get the book into shape, uh, they'll send it out to publishers and try to sell it. And my first book with my agent actually never sold. We had to table it and I went back and wrote another. And that's where I talked about the rejection. I mean, you get it every step of the way. You think like, oh, I got an agent. I made it. And often, you know, that's not the right book. And it ends up being the next one or the next one after that. And then, yeah, I had a publisher just make an offer and um, started writing. And my first 10 books were romances. I did self-publish a couple in there, but most of my career has been traditional um, with a publisher. And then I made this change with Next Year in Havana to historical fiction and women's fiction. Wow. Wow. That's a great story. I mean, that's very inspirational. Oh, and, and honestly, like my... I mean, the rejection thing is one of those universal, you know, I, I think that is one of the biggest things for new writers, because it's easy to feel like, oh, my book's not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not going to be an author. And I thought that in the beginning. But, you know, it really is a thing you'll find across everyone's careers. Yeah. Everyone yeah. has those those times that the book just wasn't right or the timing That's wasn't right. right. Yeah. So I always like to mm -hmm. ask authors or people in, you know, in literature, what their favorite books and or their favorite authors are so chanel well that's a great question um so favorite books i would say that the map of love by adolf suif it's an egyptian novel that's kind of similar in structure to havana where it's dual timelines um and it has a present day and a historical timeline it's really really gorgeous uh, that's definitely one of my favorites um, I loved Waiting for Snow in Havana. Oh, I read yes, that one great. a few years ago, and it just really brought like my grandparents' stories to life for me, and I felt this kind of incredible connection to the characters in the book. So that's always a lifelong favorite. I'm trying to think what else. Um, love The Time Traveler's Wife. Uh, that's a really great one that has like a really beautiful love story in it. So yeah, I, I think, you know, there's so many books that have sort of changed my life throughout the years, even from, you know, when I was a kid reading like Nancy Drew books. And I love, you know, that feeling of just being transported when you pick up a great book. I'm going to I'm going to ask you a silly question, but because you're okay. an author and you, and you love sometimes. reading um, <laughs> ebooks or still, you know, tangible books. I'm mainly ebooks now because I'm married and my husband's like, you're reading at night, the light's on. So it's always easier with an <laughs> ebook to like stay up late binging. Um, I do still buy print copies of my favorites. So I, I kind of go with both, but mainly ebooks. Yeah. I haven't been able to get into ebooks. I've e read a few and they e hurt my eyes. I, a no. lot of people say that. I've heard that from a lot of different people. Yeah. I, I just, for me, it's a, it's a personal thing. There's something to be said about, like, when you first start a book and it's nice and crisp and perfect and just mm -hmm. bending it and when it's done, it looks like it went through war, you know, <laughs> like when you're yeah. done yeah. reading. I think there's something to be said about that. I kind of like that the book takes a journey I along with like me. <laughs> having that intellectual trophy. Yeah. You know, like that evidence of a bookcase yeah. where yeah. it's like, I yeah. do read, damn it. You know? Yeah, or in my case, I have a library at home. So yeah, well. the ebooks oh, are not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah, the ebooks are not going to cut it. So it's just going to be a lot of tablets. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, Chanel, this has been a, a great conversation. Yeah. And and I, before we, before we wrap up, Chanel, I do want to, again, first and foremost, 
thank you so much for this book. Um, as I mentioned, we are reading it as part of a book club of me at work. But when I started reading the book, it was actually around the first year anniversary of my grandfather's death. And Aww. reading this book kind of brought him back for me in a way that I didn't know I could feel in a book. So, you know, thank you You're so much for that. Cry. Oh, I'm about you. to start I'm... crying too. You know, no. to, to the point where I'm reading the book and the dialogue for some unknown reason, I wind up like reading it and then translating it in my head into Spanish just so I can mm -hmm. feel that connection a little bit more to, to my grandfather. So thank you for that. Oh, no, that, that means a great deal. My grandmother passed away uh, 10 years ago. And so writing the book, like, it was definitely one of those things where, you know, it felt like I kind of had her close. So I, I understand what you're saying. And I, I really appreciate that, you know, the book means that to you. So thank you. Yeah. yeah. So thank you again so much for being on the show. We, we really appreciate it. I mean, we love having people that are, are doing great things. And, and in your particular case, not just yeah. writing great books, but telling these stories that are stories that need to be, you know, heard or need to be read yeah. um so thank you so much for doing what you do well thank you i i really appreciate this and and thank you the same i mean you really are doing i love seeing cubans in popular culture and and i think that it's so important that we you know learn about other cultures and you're definitely you know helping bring awareness about what it's like to be cuban american and and sharing like some fascinating guests so thank you so much thank you thank you kind of words <laughs> take care thank you you too bye, bye. Well, wasn't that a nice interview? She was just so well-spoken. I still can't believe she didn't go to Cuba. I know, right? She you, you'll never about, know. I mean, the way she wrote about just everything, it's funny because at work, as I said, we were, had the book club and we're reading it. There's actually a girl who was raised in Cuba, who's like from yeah. Cuba. And as they were reading it, we're like, wow, yeah, she writes about it exactly how it is and blah, 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 blah. So we all assumed yeah. that she'd been. No, but she that was a great conversation. She, again, as you said, she was so well-spoken and so yeah. she was so sweet. So thank you, Chanel, yes, for being you. on our podcast. It was yep. a great conversation. Also, so, on a selfish note, we're one degree closer to Reese Witherspoon. I know, right? And Oprah. No, I'm fine with Reese. I know, but Oprah. <laughs> um, so it's Coke time. It is. Yay. Oh, and after this week... Damn, we need some refreshment. We need some refreshment. So, so am I going first? Go for it. Okay, so my last Coke of the Desert goes to People Magazine's Sexiest Man Alive. Yet again, I was overlooked. I, I know, right? What is People Magazine doing? Do you know I, who it is? I do know who it is, yes. So, Idris Elba, here is my Coke. I don't think I've ever heard anybody pronounce it that way. E, e, well, this is pero let me tell you. <laughs> no, I know, but it's like during the elections when I would hear like Maria Elvira Zalazar. I'm like, that's not how you say her name. That's not how you say Maria Elvira Salazar. No, at all. <laughs> well, my Coke goes for him for several reasons. He's People Magazine's sexiest man alive. I mean, the, the guy, the guy's a, you know, he's stunner. He's, he's a good... He's a good... He's a good looking. He's a good looking. But... The reason I like him is two reasons why I like him. I actually first saw him on The Wire. Oh. Years yeah. and years and years yeah. and years ago. Have you ever seen The Wire? It's that show that everybody tells you to watch, but then I'm convinced nobody really watches it. Okay. It's so funny you say that because that's exactly how I felt about that show. <laughs> Edward Snowden watched The Wire. And again, everybody would always be like, oh, have you seen The Wire? It's like the greatest show ever. And it is. It's like very critically okay, acclaimed. Okay. Until the day that I said, you know what? Today is the day. I'm going to watch The Wire. And it really is. It's, it's like nine seasons? I don't know if it was nine seasons, but it was several seasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
but it, it, the wire is amazing so for those of you who haven't seen the wire go watch the wire but he's in the wire mm-hmm. uh, the wire i think started in like 2002 or 2003 yeah, so yeah, it was yeah, a few years ago um so it's great that you know he's really come far yes but what i kind of am really 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 rooting for is that he is on the short list of potentially being the next Bond. He's been on that list for a while now. He has. And I have to tell you that... I, mean, I don't even know who else is on the list. I have That's to how tell short you the that, list is. I mean, in Daniel Craig's last movie is going to be the next Bond. The next Bond... Officially. In, yeah, in 2020, it's his last movie. So, I don't know how long he would be in contention for. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am totally for a black Bond. A totally for it. I mean, yeah, let's do it. And if there's somebody who is black who should be and has to be james bond is him because to me james bond has to have a few qualities okay they have to he has the actor has to be british this is true Uh, to me i know i I don't need americans have a million movies james bond has to be british and to me james bond has to obviously look good in a tuxedo yeah exude be dapper exude handsome yeah elegant refined but also fucking kick your ass and Idris Elba has that good mixture. I mean, that man in a, in a tuxedo, freaking, I mean, it's like, man. <laughs> it's like in a tuxedo, it's like, Who wow. Knew? Like, genetics. It's like, genetics is a good, great thing. But then, you know, he'll also kick your ass, you know. Um, th- to me, that's why, like, with all the James Bonds, Pierce Bronson is, like, a lot of people love him. And I, I like Pierce Bronson, but to me, Pierce Bronson missed a little bit of the aggressiveness. He's not a tough guy. Tough guy that Daniel Craig, you know, picked up. Um, but but I'm a total Bond fan, Bond head, if you want to call it. So I'm, I'm very nitpicky about stuff like that. Right. So so yes, Idris Elba, this Coke is for you. And if um, Eon uh, Productions is listening to this, which is produces James Bond um, and MGM <laughs> Studios, please have <laughs> In real consideration for Bond. And you never know. It might just happen. And yes, it's 2018, 2019, 2020. Why can't Bond be black? You know what? Fuck it. Make him biracial, non-binary, polyamorous. (laughs) Total. Why not? Why not? It's 2018. Spice Girls are coming back next year. It's going to really spice up that whole relationship with the Bond girl. Yeah. Whatever. You know Grace Jones' character had a penis. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Tell me, she didn't. <laughs> so, kind of on that note, I'm going to give a more esoteric last soda. To Grace Jones? I, you know, I'm going to save my Grace Jones soda. Your Grace Jones? <laughs> you should give Grace, jo- Grace Jones a soda during Christmas. You know why, right? I do, but don't say it. Okay. Don't say it so that we can, we can do go it. into that later. Yeah. I'm actually going to give my last soda to Progress. I think for as much as people bitch and moan... This past week has shown that we're making progress. Okay. Oh, God. Are you going to laugh like I'm about to have her again? Is this a corporation or a toothpaste or Procter & Gamble? Like, I told you it was esoteric. Mm-hmm. Okay, pro- progress is great. I'm giving it to progress. We've made lots of strides. We mm-hmm. haven't come all the way we'd like to. Mm-hmm. But I think that, you know, as cliche as it sounds, you've got to take that first step. And I think mm-hmm. collectively as a country... Like you said, we're never all going to be on the same page at the same time. But I think we have to look at the positives that we've been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So that's my last soda. Short and sweet. To progress. Well, I mean, how the hell? I can't elaborate more on progress. <laughs> progress is good. 
Yes. That's that's what I hear. Yes. Progreso is even better. Que rico. I totally want like spaghetti and meatballs. Can we go to Olive Garden this week? Okay. <laughs> I, I, although we have a listener. Remember when you and I talked about the Olive Garden? Uh-huh. Um, some, I don't know. One of those episodes yeah. ago. That we talked about Olive Garden. There's a listener that we both know that's a friend of ours that went to middle school with us. That he called me. He's like, ugh, Olive Garden is disgusting. And I'm like, oh my God. Whatever. It's like, I love you, but you know, it's like, whatever. It's, it's Olive Garden. How do you not like unlimited breadsticks? You know, the, the whole thing, that's my whole thing, which I think we talked about when we first talked about the Olive Garden. You know it's what like, you're getting. You know what you're getting. It's not like I'm walking in there to have fine Italian cuisine, you know, <laughs> with fresh baked pasta. And let's, sun, let's put on our haute couture. And right, sun-ripe tomatoes that come directly from Tuscany, you know, with the freshest Parmesan cheese. It's like, I know what I'm getting. I'm getting practically fast food American Italian food. Yeah. I mean. That's so comforting. I, I Whatever. It's I delicious. love it. You know, we should go on Saturday. When we're done with Gamer Comic Expo. Payawam. And I'll go in my Nightwing costume. Cause not- At the Olive Garden and Flagler, that would be amazing. Amazing. Because there's nothing I want to do more than eat fattening pasta while wearing... Spandex. Spandex with a faja underneath. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that is how we roll people here on Pero, <laughs> let me tell you. So, as always, we hope you listen, laugh, and learn. And grab your pastelito, your croqueta, and your jupinha. And thank you so much for joining us as always. Uh, have a great week, Caballero. And that was episode 40. Wow. <laughs> 40 y 20. Bye. 40 y 20. 40 y 20. Es el amor lo que importa y no lo que diga la gente. Whatever.